refocusing our efforts on bringing reusables. That is what today's show is calling on us all to do. And welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 363, and I have the wonderful Bianca Cottle, founder of the not-for-profit organization called BYO Containers. So their website is byocontainers.org, and I really encourage you to go check them out. Uh, today's conversation focuses on what's possible in Australia and New Zealand, but it is very much a worldwide conversation. I know 40% of you who tune into the show every week are from lots of different places around the world. So a shout out to all of us as we kick uh, COVID to the curve as an era and really refocus something that a lot of us have become more lax about. You know, it was really hard to be someone who had done a lot of work around the habit of bringing your reusables everywhere to all of a sudden having yourself rejected and your containers rejected and your cups rejected. Now, airborne viruses are airborne viruses. They are not container-borne viruses. So today, Bianca is helping us unpack what the law is how we can encourage our local businesses to allow us to use our own containers more and give them the confidence that that means we're going to shop with them more and we're going to let other people know and we're going to maybe add them to the BYO Containers website, which you can do, by the way, as well as businesses nominating themselves to create their awesome interactive map and really get it humming. Uh, And That's really the aim of the game with today's show. I figured it's the end of the year. We don't need to talk about complex health conditions or anything too hectic, but something we could all do as we head into the holiday season is just bring our awareness back to how having those bags, a few containers and a couple of cups in the car or by the front door or in our bag uh, can make a massive collective difference if we all do it. And I know today's conversation is going to inspire uh, a refocus for all of us, especially as Bianca explains to us what's actually legally uh, our right, uh, which I thought was fascinating. So I'm going to hook into that in a little minute uh, and of course, share with you one last time the December sponsors. Uh, We have our major sponsor, Oz Climate. Please, if you are in one of the humid parts of Australia as we head into this four-month block of regular 60% humidity plus where microbial growth can proliferate, this is the time to get your dehumidification action plan happening. We don't often talk about needing dehumidifiers outside of water damage or mold illness, but the fact is we can actually prevent a lot of the damage and a lot of the illness if we have a proactive stance on dehumidification. 
having a compact dehumidifier for your small spaces like your bathroom and laundry, having a larger unit for your large master bedrooms or living, dining, kitchen combined spaces like the 35 or the 50 litre sizes can make a huge difference to not only how you feel and perhaps some of the respiratory issues you might have, right through to protecting your possessions and not having them go to landfill when all your shoes end up with mould on them by the end of the summer in the wardrobe. Uh, I've done a whole show a couple of weeks ago on dehumidification Q&A, kind of questions that I get all the time. So please go back and listen to that as I unpack it. But a reminder that you have 10% off with the code LOWTOXLIFE at ozclimate.com.au. And a huge thank you for being our sponsor this year. Our monthly sponsor, Killer Pillar, if you are someone who needs to re-look at their pillow, either A, because your pillow is more than a year or two old and it could actually be full of dust mite poop and mould, not to gross you out, but this is one of the things that comes up in my talks um, around and about the place and a lot of people are quite shocked when they can't even remember when the last time they bought a pillow was. So if you are shopping for one right now, please take a look at Killer Pillar. That's K-I-L-L-A-P-I-L-L-A.com.au. Why? Because Dr. Todd, a chiropractor, and his partner Carolina are so committed to not only providing a beautiful cotton, wool, organic pillow option, but Todd has designed the optimal pillow for spinal alignment to reduce things like neck and back pain. A lot of people wake up with a sore neck that didn't have a sore neck when you went to bed, or it's worse. That's not normal, and perhaps it's your pillow that's to blame. It could be all sorts of things like the profile thickness, uh, the material. Of course, we have to worry about microplastics from things like memory foam, petroleum foam, uh, and the like. Uh, But This pillow actually has some fantastic inserts for you to personalize it to your curvature and really is a game changer for so many people who've taken the plunge and bought it over the years. So go check it out, killerpillar.com.au. You have 15% off and free shipping till the end of December with the code LOWTOXLIFE. Enjoy that and let's now hook into getting more focused on our reusable containers and cups. Enjoy. Hello, Bianca. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Alex, for having me on. Uh, I'm so thrilled. Today's conversation really does take a look at what exactly it does do when we join forces with a bit of effort from us, with businesses who care, And what that looks like extrapolated out as a collective, it's huge. So first question is um, what switched you, what switched the light on, if you like, uh, into closing the loop on sustainability, going zero waste? I'm always curious whether you grew up, say, with hippie parents or whether you had one of those born again moments that spurred this whole new unexpected journey. Yeah, I think for me, it was really a confluence of things, although I did have one big spark moment in my journey. So I always had an interest in being environmentally friendly. I went to, I guess, what some people might consider a hippie school. We actually dressed in bush colours, no no uniform. Oh, wow. And, and I built a sustainable uh, eco-prototype house for my husband in 2015. But 
for me, the light bulb moment was when I had a major health square, a health scare in 2016. Uh, and I was going to and from hospital getting bloods taken and I saw a plastic tree guard, recycled plastic tree guard. And I was thinking as well, working in my uh, big corporate job, working, you know, grinding all the hours and, and actually working from my hospital bed. Like, what what am I doing? Like, what is the point? Why am I doing the job I'm doing? What am I using my skills and talents for and what can I contribute to the world? And so this plastic tree guard was made at a company called Replast who actually had a uh, their, their um, offices were nearby where I lived. So I went down there and I just started volunteering and running educational tours for local community groups, school groups, councils on the issue about around plastics recycling and what you can do with plastics and um, looking at the effects that they have in the environment. And I, I took a deep dive. I learned so much about plastics and resins and polymers and uh, how we got ourselves into the mess that we're in today and what other companies are doing, what people are doing to try and solve this problem and create a circular economy. And that really got me interested in learning about zero waste. And it really just snowballed from there. I uh, had a yeah, had a, a Facebook chat about what can people do? Uh, and one thing that came up a lot was, you know, I've reduced my waste, but I have all these, you know, takeaway containers going in and I wish I could shop at stores with my own containers, but I don't know if I'm allowed or I've maybe I've, I've, I've been turned down once before, so maybe I shouldn't do it. Um, just a lot of confusion about whether it's legal or not. And so that was where the BYO containers campaign was born just out of a Facebook group chat. I put my hand up and I said, well, I reckon I could figure out what the law is and, and make a website and, and how cool would it be if there was a map where you could just look up businesses who, who readily accepted BYO containers and allowed mm. them would take out heaps of the anxiety and fear. Because I know myself, I'm one of those people who is anxious to have that conversation sometimes with a new store and just knowing that I could go somewhere and see, oh, they're already on the map, I'll go shop there. That makes my life easier. Yeah, nice. And I think that is one of the big barriers for people, isn't it? It's like, is this going to be a waste of time and they're just going to say no when I get there anyway? Um not everybody has a car boot that they can keep all their containers in, especially if you're looking at people in their early 20s uh, who tend to be more of the commuter type, uh, walking on foot from stations, et cetera. So there's a whole bunch of considerations and barriers, aren't there? But like with food waste, same thing, um, depending on the lifestyle and even life stage where it actually can be less convenient or more convenient to get on board with something like this. Yeah, exactly. And I always take quite a pragmatic approach. Like it's never about anyone being perfect, any one business, any one person or at any one stage in your life. It's just about what we can all do to make an adjustment and where it makes sense and where it's easy. Let's, let's, let's bring our containers, let's shop that way or let's reduce whatever other environmental impact we're having because if we all do the easy things, it'll make a huge difference. Yeah, totally. I completely agree. And so talk me about talk to me about the eco home. Um, because that's not an easy thing to build. What were some of the learnings on that journey? And can anyone look that up somewhere? What you what you did and, and how you went through it? Because you ran tours and things, right? Yeah, we've got uh, a website on sustainable house space. So my husband and I showcase 
the house uh, a couple for a couple of years and had guests come through and mm. shared with them our journey and a bit about what we did, some of the features of the home. Um, we're also on our builder's website, Pure Eco Homes. Shout out to Oslin, our builder, who did a fantastic job for us putting the house together. And I think for us, like one of the main learnings was, you know, doing a lot of research into looking who you want to build with. Um, the builder we did bring on had the same mission and values that we did, which was we've never seen a house built like this before, but we want a proof of concept that it can be affordable, it can be done, and it's achievable for, you know, your typical household in, in Melbourne where we built. Uh, that was one of the main considerations we had. And there was definitely delays and things didn't necessarily work the way that we'd hoped they worked, but that's that's the thing that happens with a prototype it's all new territory and you've got to expect some things. Um, but I think for us, we, we did get a lot of, like, we love our home and it, and it perform um, reasonably well. It's much cheaper to run. So we're getting savings there and it's much more comfortable to live in. Um, so yeah, some of the things off the bat, like we aligned it in terms of um, the block that we purchased. We knew we needed a big North facing side. So just purchasing the right block, which, it, it amazes me that you don't see any difference in price for how blocks are orientated, but that that's a huge. Uh, oh, it's massive. Today. A girlfriend of mine uh, is Amelia Lee, undercover architect. So she has, you know, this incredible podcast and, and architectural education business uh, for both builders and consumers. And her number one thing is always orientation. Orientation and orientation is king. If you mm. don't start there, you've just, lost out on your biggest efficiency gain for the for no extra money and comfort gain absolutely and and health benefits that come from that too yeah uh and so speaking of health benefits I'm someone who's very unfortunately very affected by mold after a long time uh unknowingly living in a water damaged unit and one of the things that is a concern for a lot of the people in the mould community in the energy efficiency discussions is do we then build these bubbles that aren't breathing and then create this whole other issue around health? Uh, and it's certainly not sustainable to be unhealthy as a human. Um, so how did you tackle that air exchange aspect uh, and while also tackling energy reduction, cost reduction? Yeah, so our house is inspired by a lot of passive features, but it's not a fully passive house. Mm -hmm. So we have, uh, for those in the business will know, air change hours is, and, and they do pressure testing. Yeah. It's a standard metric. So I think it's 3.3 air change hours. Uh, so there is air coming in and out, but that effectively means, you know, in 3.3, um, in an hour, there'll be 3.3 air changes under pressurized situation where you've got a blower. Um so it is only marginally linky, whereas other homes in Victoria, you've got more more than double digit yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of values. So um, there is a little bit of air movement, but we've got a very, um, we've, we've got like a commercial HVAC, which is a heating, ventilation and AC system. Um, very key. Unfortunately, it didn't perform as well as we'd like, so we had to supplement with splits as well. And so we've got those in and then we do have one area of the house on the southwest side, which is our master room and the ensuite that does get condensation. 
So we we have our split system running in the dehumidifier mode, and we uh, we do that like we, we have automated um, cut-ins when the humidity is above a certain point, it'll cut in and yeah, and clever. Yeah. Mm. So we've um, I've recently actually bought a a small dehumidifier just for the ensuite as well because we were getting a bit of a build up in there, and we had a we had a toilet leak situation, and which um, yeah. has been another thing. So I'm like great, we have to just dry this out and it's probably going to be a hot summer. So I think this year we might look at um, trying to clean all that up too. But Yeah, it's it's so key. And I think homeowners actually really just need more literacy around these uh, preventative measures, the strategies, and knowing that you even need to have a humidity strategy in the first place. If you have condensation and a south side of a house, you need a strategy. It's it's not optional. Otherwise, either people or your building will get sick or both. And uh, that's not sustainable at all when we think of the construction material cost of knockdown rebuild and all that kind of stuff. So never mind all the personal health issues. So I always love discussing these topics with people who've built sustainable houses because for me it's a really big part of the journey. And I love that you guys had the... the um, probably personal awareness, but also it sounds like you had really good advice around ensuring some things were in place to mitigate potential damage or health risks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there just does need to be a lot more education because mm-hmm. even particularly we have a, a rental as well, which we've lived in for many years and we know that there's parts of the house that get condensation. It's the way it was built and the orientation and it needs to have a dehumidifier run or, you know, wiping down walls or running the heating or something. Um, and so these are practices like if, if you didn't learn about it, if your parents didn't teach you, just no one really gives you that um, kind of handbook and it can make such a huge difference, not just for, for saving costs later down the road, but huge impact to health. Yeah, massive. And, you know, it's kind of the trade-off of deciding we're all going to stay put and and build and not move nomadically. Like we then have to figure out, well, how do we do that healthily? Because back in the days we'd build a hut for some shelter and then move on to the next place with the more bountiful berries over the hill. We never had structures that lasted long enough. They all composted and off we went. Uh, So you know, the built environment has a whole bunch of uh, philosophical, ethical, but also practical challenges around it in terms of making sure humans stay healthy and buildings have the chance to have longevity. So thank you for sharing it on a website. I'm going to pop that in the show notes so that people can go and have a look. That's awesome. Um, I want to come back, obviously, to the topic at hand, which is reusing containers. And talk about COVID because we have a lot of discussions about what COVID has done to uh, thought and uh, guru culture and black and white thinking and how it's a time that has created more polarisation, how it's a time that's created more distrust of large industries, of politics. There's so much happened in the COVID era. And one of the discussions we haven't really had, I certainly haven't had it on the show, I've talked to friends about it, is how sad it is that it almost feels like it sent us backward 
I mean, who didn't see a mask in a gutter uh, or who didn't have to use another flipping COVID test to prove that you weren't positive going to like a restaurant or work or a friend's house or a parent? Um, it, it was just, it was almost like everything that people like you and I had done to encourage awareness of single use items got, um, shoved to the side because we were in a crisis. And I'm curious to see how you felt during that time and whether you feel like businesses are finally starting to relax now and, um, be more on the front foot, like we were pre COVID when it comes to letting people reuse containers in delis and butchers and cafes and restaurants. Yeah, it definitely did feel like a setback and it and it was in a lot of ways. Um, I had to take quite a, I think, step back in my view from it. I, um, I did get sick myself with COVID and was quite unwell for some time. And so I actually used that time to kind of just keep the campaign quiet for a little while and taking over. And I had, I fortunately had some help from um, one of my volunteers, Erin, she does an amazing job. Thank you, Erin's a legend. Shout out to Erin Rhodes. <laughs> um, so she actually helped me um, redesign and relaunch the website in that time, which was a fantastic thing to focus on because we couldn't be out there on the ground going to festivals or other events educating like we normally would. Um, we used that time to really kind of hone how we wanted our message to be presented on the website and update that and we actually um, worked together so Trash This Takeaway who we initially uh, inherited their their map infrastructure from they uh, were looking at um, making things simpler in their life as well and so we agreed to actually join forces and share our, our map and take the campaign nationwide so all that was happening in the background for me but in terms of uh, the feeling of things being a setback, it certainly was. Uh, but I think it actually has given us an invitation to have this conversation. For for many years, people have sort of, you know, we've had this, uh, and I, I feel like it's an idea that's been built up since probably we were kids about how you need to kind of clean, disinfect your floor. Everything has to be perfectly clean, sanitized. That's the that's the healthy life and I actually question that and I think now is a good time to start really questioning that how is it and why is it that we think a plastic bag or a straw or a container that comes from a factory that's, you know, miles and miles away and you don't know what the regulations are, you don't know what the ingredients are in that packaging, that, that plastic product, and we think it's safer for our food to touch that than someone's reusable container that they've washed at home or that's been washed in store. Um, why is that? <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And you you spell it out like that and you just go, uh, like I'm sure that some light bulbs went on for beginners out there who have been curious about this topic but maybe they just haven't, you know, taken the plunge yet. In a nutshell, what you've described is how crazy uh, it is that we've been convinced. We're not crazy. It's just a culture of crazy that's convinced us that sterility 
and single use is healthier. And it simply is not. I mean, you look at a gut, diversity is one of the key drivers of health. Uh, You are always going to have pathogens. It's impossible for them to not exist. But kept in check by a huge variety of fantastic gut bugs, then you never have a problem. And they actually increase the, the resilience of your overall gut profile in terms of health, which then has flow on effects of mental health and all the other things, which a lot of listeners uh, are completely aware of with the topics that we cover. So for me to then hear you say, oh my gosh, you know, we've been convinced of this Pino Clean era. It's so true. Imagine how little sense it makes to get rid of as many bugs as possible when Bugs help challenge us. They help actually create the resilience um, when kept in check. Uh, So we need them in the overall scheme of things so that when a big bug like a COVID virus comes along, uh, we are actually better placed to weather the storm. Uh, And, uh, you know, of course, metabolic health and a few other predictors uh, that weren't allowed to be talked about, weren't allowed to even talk about maybe getting your vitamin D and zinc levels checked to see how that immune system's performing. It's actually quite mind boggling how much was stacked against both us and the environment in the way we moved through that crisis. And so we're now out the other side and I'm so sorry you've dealt with long COVID because that, I mean, that is that is hard. I am part of the complex chronic illness community myself on the mould front. Uh, any Lyme people out there, people with Epstein-Barr, um, autoimmune diseases, we've all experienced what that feels like to be out of control when it comes to your body and to not really see a positive end in sight sometimes. And it's hard. And I can only now then draw the parallel with environmental concerns and people working in there and thinking, gosh, it's so hard. When are we ever going to make progress? So let's turn the rest of this conversation into just how exciting the opportunities are on the horizon, especially when I look at your website and what you guys have created with the map and the businesses that are getting involved. Um Let's start by asking what the actual laws are, because this is something that confuses a ton of people, Bianca, is am I even allowed to bring my container to a deli or is my butcher just being nice letting me bring a container, but actually it's not a blanket law and it's case by case. What are the blanket laws when it comes? And is it state by state? Like how come? So confusing. No one knows. <laughs> um, yeah, I had all those exact same questions when I first started looking into this. Like, what is the law? Like, where do you find it? And even if that's the case, is that what happens on the ground? Um, so I did do a lot of reading um, there's a fantastic summary actually is where I got started. Uh, shout out to Tammy from Gippsland Unwrapped who had collated a lot of this information and I'm, I'm quite adept at going through uh, legal documents. I have a history of that in my employment so I don't mind reading the boring terms and conditions and jargon. Um, so what I've done on the website is basically pulled a summary for people if people are interested in, in jumping into it and seeing the exact link 
maps and references where they can find the details. But in summary, Australia and New Zealand are governed under the Food Standards Australia New Zealand Act, which is called the FSAMS. And in there, it's actually sufficiently grey. There's no food and safety laws in Australia preventing businesses from letting customers use their own containers. Ultimately, up to the individual business uh, to make that decision if they want to allow customers to do that, with a couple of provisos. One being that you can't reuse those Chinese takeaway containers because they're very porous, they don't clean easily, and they carry a bigger risk. Um, and then we actually have underneath that there are regulatory bodies so prime safe who operate over the meat industry dairy safe who do delis and then you have local governments who regulate your smaller business like your cafes and those kind of stores uh, and then you have supermarkets who self-regulate so they each look at the fsans they reg they um have the regulators and then an individual business they may require to be audited regularly as well uh, to make sure that they meet those regulations that get interpreted from from the uh, FSANs. But I think in summary, nothing says you can't do it. Yeah, right. So they're actually telling porky pies if they say, uh-uh. Well, they might have, um, they might need to get provision, like have a policy in the store that their auditor signs off so they might not have done that work and I've definitely spoken with businesses who haven't done that yet that can come at some expense depending on the business and who their auditor is they might have to get some paperwork drawn but there's also a lot of businesses who are quite happy accepting containers without going down those extra steps um, I think the biggest concern we have right now is some businesses who are not sure and they don't want to leave themselves open for litigation, which is something that I'm actually working with the government in Victoria on right now to see if we could get some legislation to clear this up and make it um, very simple that it just says if a customer brings a container, they're responsible for the, um, the cleanliness and the suitability of the container. And the business is responsible for selling safe food and products. Mm. Okay. And they That's... already have in South Australia, they did get a law exactly like this called, uh, called their um, amendment to their Civil Liability Act in 2022. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to model that and see if we can get that across Australia, which I think will clear things up for a lot of people. Oh, that's amazing. Yes, it would. Um, and I will share that graphic when it comes out because a lot of people still feel like, especially with this COVID times hangover that a lot of us have where your coffee cup was all of a sudden rejected and you couldn't bring your Pyrex to the butcher anymore because everyone was terrified, um, and rightly so, at least in the phase where we didn't know, right? I just want to speak to that and to the people who were really devastatingly affected by this virus. A novel virus is no joke, and we can't ignore that truth. And I will um, say I was right there at the start of the pandemic washing my packages, not knowing because mm, we didn't know at the beginning. Mm, um, 
but we do know now that COVID particularly is airborne. And mm. I've got a great statement from, I think, signed by over 100 scientists and doctors attesting to that fact that the risk of transmission from surface areas, so contact from surfaces, is negligible. It's it's really transmitted airborne. Mm. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, yes, I knew that, but it's really great to have the documentation that gives that confidence to anyone who was still wondering about that um, and certainly good for businesses to hear that who are out there listening today, right, but that are like, okay, so I really don't need to worry about someone who's bringing in their Pyrex and uh, and putting cheese in it mm-hmm. for them. Mm. So- yeah, as long as, as long as containers look clean and suitable, I think it's fairly safe. Yeah, don't take a container that has crusty bits of food still left in it or, like, the coffee that you had before. And Please clean um, your mugs. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So we're going into a cafe, a deli, a butcher, a fishmonger, um, any kind of counter where we can get food put into a container, maybe even takeaway and trying to get a restaurant to put our takeaway in our containers instead of theirs. Uh, what are some of the most effective scripts we can use when you're met with a bit of hesitation? Because sometimes the little bit of hesitation will then be just enough for someone to go, oh, don't worry, no, I don't want to cause a, a, a hassle for you. That's fine. You know, just use your containers. Um, can you talk us through advice you have in that scenario? Because that happens quite often. Yeah. I, you know what, when I approach a new business, I'm like, I said, you know, I'm one of those people who also get anxious. So I know exactly mm. how I feel. Um, I do do quite a few things. I tend to go at a quieter time. So if I don't have a choice and it's a stressful day and I just don't have time, look, I'm not, I have purchased my food in takeaway containers. I'll yeah. make that clear. I'm not perfect at this either. Mm. And thank you for admitting that because no one is actually, no one. Yeah. And I don't think that's the end goal either. Mm. But if I'm approaching a new business or say my favourite is when I go on holiday and stay in another town that I haven't been to before because I've usually got lots of time on my side and I can kind of walk down the main street and scope out what kind of restaurants or so forth are there. So I'll go in at a quieter time and see if I can talk to someone and say, look, I'm trying to reduce my waste. Would it be okay if I bring my container in next time? And is that okay if I get the food straight into my container? So they know kind of what what's the point? Why, why is this crazy woman asking to use her own container? She's trying to reduce waste. Oh, that's great. I like to reduce waste too. I can get on board with that, um, hopefully. And then, uh, yeah, let them know that... Um, it's clean and sanitized. I've run it through the dishwasher, all those kind of things. So they can feel confident serving straight into the container. Uh, I always remind butchers and delis, you are welcome to use tongs or scoops. Sometimes they have them there in the display area. So I sort of remind them, oh yeah, it'd be great if you use the tongs. Um, even at a butcher sometimes, if I'm purchasing meat that I know I'm going to cook, I will tell them you could use your hands because I'm going to cook it. Um, and let them know as well 
So I also usually look in the display area where the food is. Sometimes I have tongs or scoops just sitting there and I'll let them know they can use that. Or if I'm purchasing meat that I'm going to cook from a butcher, I'll let them know I'm happy for you to use your hands. I'm going to cook it. Mm. Uh, so it will be safely prepared. And so by that, are you talking about like them avoiding that like one glove that they put on for that one grab? Absolutely. Mm. So if, if they start to reach for a plastic bag, I'll just reaffirm I'm trying to reduce my weight. I I, I don't need a plastic bag. I'm happy for you to use your hands or the tongs. Um, and, 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 yeah, I really don't want to have any plastic waste in in, in, in my, my purchase. purchase. Yeah. 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 The other and- thing I remind them to is always tearing their scales. So that's something, particularly if there's like younger staff, maybe they're not trained on their scales. Um, and I let them know, like, I've got time. I sometimes let other customers go in ahead of me so that they don't feel like it's taking too long and there's a queue building up. I'll usually mm-hmm. let everyone else go ahead. So it just takes that stress off the person who's serving you. Yeah, they might not be sure what they're allowed to do or what they're expected to do, and they might not have figured out how to tear the scales. So just gives them that time. Hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's such a good point because if you're using something like a glass Pyrex, like that's a couple of hundred grams right there. And if you're talking about, uh, I don't know, rump steak, then that could be eight dollars that you're paying that you don't need to be. Yeah. Exactly. Um. And I think the other thing too is, you know, I, I've rarely been refused, but it's happened once or twice. And it's doing that with grace because people, you don't know what kind of uh, pressures or what they don't know about the situation. Not everyone mm. is comfortable doing these things. And just because they say no today, it doesn't mean that they're going to say no tomorrow or maybe in a year's time when they've had a lot of customers come and ask and they might start thinking about it. Yes. Yeah, that's it. You could be actually just the person who's planting the seed for that business for the very first time. And that matters. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And so in terms of the climate change solution when it comes to reusing, I wondered whether you had um, kind of figures, I guess, on what the average person with average consumption might hope to save from single-use land uh, by just doing this for like a year? What does it look like? Yeah, I don't know if I have any particular figures, but I think it does vary a lot from household mm, to household it would. and what you're purchasing as well. So if you look at, you know, people who are using a butcher or a deli or that kind of independent place to purchase in containers or someone who gets takeout regularly, it really can vary wildly. Um, I would say think about any time that you put something in the bin throughout a year. And I always come back to this. So when I started my zero waste journey, one of the first things I did was a bin audit. I didn't grab everything out and I didn't label it. I just looked in my bin and I saw, oh, my Tetra packs are taking up a lot of space. Is there an alternative to the Tetra packs? I started to make my own almond milk and that was an alternative for me. And then the next thing I saw was I had a lot of bread bags. Um, my family and I eat gluten-free bread. So I had a bread maker already. I just never really used it and it had a gluten-free mode. So I, I figured out how to make a gluten-free loaf and 
I don't need to buy as much bread. Um, so for me, the issue of how much can we reduce when we BYO containers, if you're someone who's getting uh, a coffee once a day or if you're someone who gets takeaway two or three times a week, you think about how much of that packaging you could uh, reduce and then think about how that goes in your bin and then think about where does that go from there? It's either going to be going to landfill or an incinerator. And then where did it come from to begin with? It was manufactured somewhere in a factory, that packaging, and shipped to a store. And then you took it home and then it ends up in its journey in that landfill or incinerator. And that's 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 the environmental impact that you as an individual can have just yeah. in your own home. Um, yeah, that the tracing of the item to the various stages of it existing and then continuing to exist beyond its use is just one of the most valuable light bulb moments you can take five minutes out of your life to have, right? To just think, how did that start? How did it end? Well, it never ends. If it's plastic, mm-hmm. it just becomes lots of different, very annoying things usually. Um, so... Then in terms of um, compostable, because that's something we see a lot on labels, it's not always a a really exciting piece of news, that word, is it? No, compostable is very complex. Um, There are different kinds of compostable. There are home compostable. There are also commercial-grade compostable. And when you think of when you go out and you get your your Uh, plant-based plastic cup, often these are commercially compostable products. And then I think about, again, when it leaves my hands, where it goes in the bin, which bin? Because it's not recyclable, it will mess up the recycling stream. And in landfill, it breaks down just like any other plastic. So if it's out in, in the environment as well, if it gets loose into the waterways, it acts exactly like any other plastic and there are no real uh you know in victoria where i'm from there's no commercial composting facilities and there's no one collecting it sending it there Mm. so well it's a very hard journey to a specify the stream and create the unique bin it would need to go into for that stream to be um cost effective to run uh, then you have the logistics of the trucks required to take those things to the commercial composter. And then the commercial composter needs to be able to compost in a way that doesn't create fumes, like bioplastics still create fumes uh, that have been very poorly researched up until this point. So I agree, it's, a, it's a, still a big question mark. Uh, so it really does bring us back to how can we use as little as possible uh, that would need to be going into a bin in the first place. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, in the past there was some fair criticism around reusables because glass is heavy um, and timber has also its issues, paper products. They, you know, need to be made from trees. Mm. So, um and even steel containers, if you use reusable steel, that's also costly and comes out of the ground as minerals and is heavy to move around. 
Um, but with the advent of more EVs and renewable energy in the grid, that's really changing. And so the cost to um, take glass around and ship it around, that cost is going to continue to drop. Mm. And if you've got local washing facilities on site or nearby, that can become a very environmentally um, friendly way of having your, your food packaged. Yeah. And so can I ask for clarification then on for people who want to get a bit of a kit of reusables together, um, if they say don't have anything that's appropriate right now or they want to move away from plastics eventually and um, relegate uh, um, the plastic to maybe the shed or the craft boxes for storage uh, and 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 do better for what we're storing our food in, what is the best solution there? The one that you have in your home already is usually the best solution. So it looks different for different people. For me in my home, I've got a lot of reusable jars, just jam, Vegemite jars, that kind of thing. Um, and then I have a, a small amount of, of sturdy tempered glass containers that I like to take shopping. Um, I still sometimes use my plastics. I haven't completely phased them out yet, but it's, I think, a work in progress. So at whatever stage you're at, I think it's just, you know, if it makes sense for you to have one new glass container, go for it. But you don't need to go out and replace everything that you have. You don't need to get special products. Just using what you have at home is probably a great start. Yeah, totally. I remember I bought uh, a couple of kits of uh, a thin stainless, I think it's Clean Conserve, I think is the brand. And the beautiful thing about them is we still got them. Like I remember buying them when my son was in about kindy, he's now in year eight. Uh, so very durable. Um, and I actually just posted on Instagram yesterday uh, the infamous locker clear out at the end of the day. And I just kept trusting that they would come back to me, that they were out there in a lo- in the locker and he was just too lazy to bring them home. <laughs> and so I started sending things, you know, like a, a little fruit salad or other things that I pack for him for lunch sometimes in jars. And I'm like, and he'd roll his eyes, like teenage eyes, go, that looks so daggy, mum. And I'd be like, well, if you don't want to look daggy, bring the containers back. And then so yesterday came back all the containers of uh, every container I've ever bought is now back in our pantry ready to be used again um, and and lost to the Year 9 locker instead. Um, but I think it's, um, it's such, a, especially if you've got little kids, like I do find the teenage years, there is that element of tribalism. There is a delicate balance of fitting in and not wanting to look different and, I think from a mental health perspective, it is actually important to unpack what that's going to look like. Does your kid just really not care and it's great, you can send them with whatever. But if your kid is a bit more like likely to be bullied or singled out or, you know, then that might be more important for you. So I don't want anyone to feel guilty. But at the same time, that reminder that if it's your work lunch, you don't need a fancy new container for that. Just use what you've got. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think you're right. Like everyone, and I, I certainly, um, having family members who are part of the disability community, 
Mm, well that's aware. a huge thing as well. Yeah. yeah. And and that neurodiverse space as well. Like I'm very well aware that what works well for someone doesn't work well for everyone. So I think it's about customizing the solution for yourself mm. and doing what you can do without it, you know, it's it's not the only thing that we need to think about in life. Yeah. Um, and it shouldn't be. But let's do let's do what makes sense for us and even just role modeling out in the shopping center like I've had quite a few people come up to me and say oh I didn't know you could take your like you can take a container to the the chicken shop and get your hot chicken I'm like yeah this is my Friday night takeaway I've got hot chicken and chips in my you know roasting pan yeah it's such a good conversation starter isn't it I've got a camping mug that I often use on planes and trains because they move around a fair bit sometimes and that little silicone base I can't remember the name of the Camelback, I think it is, but it's really trusty brand that my husband's had for ages and I steal it when I go away for work or um, to visit my family overseas. And they're awesome. And people often think situationally, oh, that's for camping. It's like, no, it's for any time you need a portable mug. Uh, and I remember bringing it on the Eurostar and that really does because it's going so fast, like you're going all over the shop. And I went to the dining cart and the young woman there, actually, um, we got talking and we talked about sustainability and she was so excited to see my reusable cup that she actually gave me my cup of tea on the house. So you never know, you never know what kind of allies you're going to find out there um, because it makes people feel good that people are doing something that counts. I genuinely think that humans who care about it recognise it in other humans and then it makes us all just feel, it's almost like it's a little nervous system breather. You think, oh, God, there are good people in the world who are just doing those little everyday things that really do move the needle as a collective. Absolutely. When I've been to events where I've got my container and I've, I've turned over and I've seen someone else who's got like maybe the same brand or, um, you know, they've also got their container there and you just got that little like, you know, we're in it together. Yeah, exactly. And I would say even um, if you want to move away from plastic for health reasons, because BPA and PFAS obviously all real big concerns, um, keep a couple because, they never get knocked back at public events. I remember taking my Pyrex with a big salad last year. My son is a ball kid. He's a big tennis fan and he's um, a ball kid at the local United Cup tournament, which is a big tennis tournament, lots of stars, super fun. But, of course, when you're a ball kid mum, you're spending your day out at Homebush every day and I'm certainly not going to eat fried fish and chips every day. So I was bringing my own salad. But the first day I turn up with my Pyrex uh, which is glass with a um, plastic lid, and I wasn't allowed to bring it in. So uh, your plastics, your stainless, they're going to be much more likely to pass in those sorts of events um, when you're going through security than glass cups and glass jars and glass containers. So that's one thing I've learned. So I thought I wanted to share that because you don't want to make the difference and then make the plan and then you show up and you get rejected. Uh, it can be a real downer. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I found in terms of like getting through security, I actually have found taking a plastic container, like just a lunchbox size mm. through the airport, it actually really helps me pack my bag. Yeah, <laughs> right. 
if I want to put little bits and pieces in there, having a clear plastic um, container is really useful for that. And then when I'm, you know, going away for work, going into the office, Mm. I've got my lunchbox ready to go if I want to go nip down the road and get like sushi for lunch. I've already got one that came mm-hmm. with me. Yeah, that's it. And so I think don't be too quick to throw those away because they can be handy for these more situational um, ex- uh, occasions. And so the last question I have is around the local lawmaker level because often we can feel a bit sort of down and out, a bit hopeless in like, oh, God, I've literally only seen three people with a reusable cup this morning at the local cafe in a sea of people. Um, I actually have a school just down the road from me and it's teenage girls. It's a women, a girls' high school. And to see these young people who are doing environmental topics at school now, it's part of the curriculum and they care, but then they're with their single-use cups at the cafe being teenage girls having their little chats before school starts and I just think you can feel hopeless and I often think well what can we do to make some levels above being the singular person who cares care more and while I don't want to be a society that legislates and has rules for everything because I think there's a big downside to that as well but I, I feel like more awareness, more tools, more education at the government level, um, incentives uh, for cafes to do the work to educate more. I don't know what that would look like, but you're at the coalface of this. What do you think it looks like? Yeah, I, I have some really good news. The discussion is, is going on at the moment. Like, so federal government is working on federal packaging regulation, which is set to begin in 2026. Um, And so what that looks like is hopefully a consistent national framework that will do things like ban harmful chemicals like PFAS in paper straws and um, have some traceability standards for recyclable material as well, because if you've got recycled plastic go into your plastic takeaway container there's a whole bunch of concerns with the chemicals that get added in throughout that entire chain so they'll be setting some standards around that as well as minimum content to help drive a circular economy what i would ask is if anyone who's listening is interested in taking part in this conversation there is public consultation starting I know that there is a discussion paper released in New South Wales at the moment. I'm sure other states will be following soon um, regarding things like single-use plastic bans and what packaging regulations might look like. I would say get involved in that. There's, um, and I'll give you some links to put in the show yes, notes. Yes, please. Yeah. There's um, the National Retail Association who are a peak body who work with business and government they have a great uh, Excel file summary of what's happening in every state in terms of bans and regulation consultations, um, which is fantastic to check out. And I know, yeah, for New South Wales, there, there is an active survey going on right now. I think it takes like five minutes to do, just to tell them that what you want to see in this packaging reform. So I would ask, let's put reusables at the front of this. We know that... Um, Driving a circular economy is great. I, I'm actually really pleased to hear that 
plastic is being recycled and put back into the system in ways that is practical and that harmful chemicals are being banned right at the start of the pipeline. Uh, but I think reuse needs to be a big part of that conversation. I'm not sure it's there yet. So a bit of pressure from the community to help get that on the agenda for government when they're looking at these regulations would be ideal. Yeah, that's it. And it, it is literally just a habit reformation, I feel. You know, it's no, it's not easy to remember your bags if you've never had to remember them before. No, it's not easy to remember your coffee cup if you've never had to remember it before. But a couple of weeks in, and if you Im- implement no bag, no shopping, or no co- no cup, no coffee kind of stuff for yourself, then guess who's going to be remembering their stuff? Guess who's going to be starting to put those bags to the front door with a couple of containers there or keeping some in the boot? There are so many ways you can start to build uh, the habits. Uh, and once they're there, uh, especially if we're encouraged, uh, if we're incentivized, I think, you know, gamifying this is probably for me one of the biggest opportunities we have by getting government and business involved, um, like, you know, being that goody two-shoes who then gets the free cup of tea on the Eurostar. Like that's that was probably because she cares about it and I was the only person who had a reusable that day and she was like, thank God, it's on the house. You know, you give me hope. And I think we all need to just be those people that give each other hope and we see it. So we want to be more encouraged to be it, right? Absolutely. And in terms of um, like incentivizing, I think you're right. Like there needs to be some kind of incentive for people to get on board with this habit change because habit change isn't easy, mm. but it's easier if if all of a sudden we're getting money off a discount or we're getting a deposit back for returning a container. You know, you yeah. might be one of those people who brings it back every time, or maybe you'd be like, I would be the person who would store up a whole bunch and eventually mm. like once every month or so I'd go back and bring them. Whatever works, um, I've seen as well, there's a fantastic app out there called Limbo. Check it out. It, it, you can What's actually it called? download it and track it your again? own reusable behavior. Zimbo. Zimbo. So they okay, have a website, Zimbo. Yeah, Zimbo.me, Z-I-M-B-O. Um, and you can track your reusable behavior and it, it, it will tell you how much CO2 emissions you're saving wow. by your habit change. Uh, and businesses can get on board as well. So businesses can have like a QR scan and then they can see over time their customers how much they're offsetting together as a team like it's it's, it's everyone together right that's Um, awesome so I mean for me I'm a patterns and numbers kind of gal and I love data and I feel like if the people listening there might be a couple of people who are on the environmental committee or the eco sustainability committee at work right that would be very likely given the types of peeps who are in our community If you're that person, you could bring Zimbo as an app to your meeting and say, let's see if we can actually incentivize our entire building and send out a little weekly snapshot of the collective's impact and register our workplace on this app and get everybody putting their data in. You could do some really cool things. Yeah, I think getting some data would be really cool. I know um, responsible cafes, they do some data collection as well and working with councils too. So there's a lot of people working on these issues and trying to find ways to make it easier. 
Um, it's really exciting. Like uh, I love talking to some of these groups and other uh, people who've started their own initiatives. It's, it's very energizing. Yeah. And I love that this is where we've ended up, Bianca, because it feels energizing. It feels hopeful and it feels like a, a bandwagon you want to jump on. Um, so I, I appreciate the work you're doing. I think you've done an incredible job to get this website up and it's incredibly easy to navigate as well. It really makes it easy for all of us to know the ins and outs of what we're trying to do in our local area and and how we might be able to um, join the BYO Containers movement because it is a movement and more of us who do it, the bigger the impact we have. Yeah, it's absolutely. As simple as that. I mean, jump on the website, see which stores need you do it. If your locals don't, add them to map. It only takes two minutes. Mm. And so just to clarify what you've said there, if we have a local uh, store of some kind where you're bringing your own container, whether it's a restaurant or a fishmonger or whatever, um, and they're not on the map, but you've been bringing your containers and they allow people to do it and you've been doing that for years, you can put them on the map for them? Right. Uh, yeah, we've got two types of listings. So we have user submitted and business submitted. So if you're just someone who's used your containers, you can sign up that store and we'll email them and ask them if they want to make it a official business submitted listing. But there's heaps of just user submitted ones as well because lots of people do that. Like it's it's very easy and we just try to take some of the barriers away. Um, I will add as well, we don't just have just food. We have personal care products. Uh, alcohol refills, we even have some pet products and even some places like olive oil refills. Like we've we've got a whole lot of stuff listed on there. So it's not just food uh, shopping with BYO containers. It's it's anything. Awesome. I love it. Thank you for your work and thanks for letting us know how we can all be a part of it. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Alex. Um, yeah, it's been great chatting to you and thank you for helping spread this word and support the movement. Oh, well, that is my great pleasure. And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. A reminder, we have so many fantastic shows in our archives these days. If this particular topic was helpful to you, head over to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on the podcast directory, which gives you food, body, home, mind, and environmental health topics segmented so you can see all the shows that we've done in all of those areas and head straight to what you want. A reminder, we also have 10 fabulous e-courses that I've written with various doctors, naturopaths, health professionals, and experts over the years to support you on your low-tox journey, whether it's making daily swaps, getting ready to make babies, looking after your inflammation, you can hit the courses tab on lowtoxlife.com to explore those. And lastly, I would love to meet you on socials. Go and head over to at lowtoxlife on Instagram or find us on Facebook. It's always such a pleasure to chat and see how you guys are going when you share favorite shows and share them with your friends. I absolutely love that. A little reminder, of course, that all of our shows are not intended as medical advice. They are intended to open the minds and hearts of people and maybe help you explore something you hadn't considered yet, but please always check in with your health professional. 
And one last little request. If you have time to leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would just mean the world to me because it helps us get out there and have other people have confidence that that thing they're considering pressing play on is absolutely worth it. I'll catch you for the next show you tune into. Thanks for joining me again. This is Alex Stewart, founder of Low Tox Life.